You like the Just Baseball show and want to make your own? Let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never seen before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Tuesday the 24th, we're allowed to have energy now because Peter Apple's back. How exciting is that? Yeah, I heard that little shtick at the beginning of you and Arm's episode yesterday, which I actually did think was kind of funny because I know I can be annoying with all my positivity and energy, but that's just who I am. I bring the noise, I bring the fun, and I just love baseball, and it comes off on the podcast, Jack. And if, if, if being so negative is such a bad thing, then I'm a bad thing. Then sue me, right? Then sue uh, me. <laughs> No, man, I love the positivity. Let's roll with it. We're going to welcome Aramon again so you can confront him. We're going to talk about his breakout pitching prospects, which he posted on JustBaseball.com. We're going to have some fun before we bring Aramon, though. We're going to talk about the current state of Major League Baseball. Current events. Yeah, current events. Number one, I'm sick right now. I'm I'm COVID negative, but I'm super congested. I've got a cough. I've got, like, the muscular pain, like – I just don't feel too hot, so I want you to view this podcast as my flu game. As your flu game. Okay. Okay. Jordan. Yeah. What year was that? Was that 96? Shit, I don't know. I'm supposed to be a Bulls fan, right? Baseball guys, obviously. Baseball Even though guys. you're literally from Chicago. It was in the 90s for sure. For sure in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> was not the 80s. Absolutely not the 80s. It was the 90s. Um Let's talk about the t-shirt that I'm wearing right now because our, our friends at Breaking Tea hooked us up and I've got the Fastball Freddy tee on. Look how fire that is in the clock and everything clocked it up to 100. I don't know if our boy Freddy is really throwing 100 miles an hour, but he's in the mid-90s and he remains one of the best pitchers in baseball. Just like we said at the beginning of the year, Fastball Freddy, I love it. No, you got to wear the moment, right? Yeah. Uh, now, here's the problem with me. These are all new shirts. I got seven shirts in the mail from Breaking Tea. They hooked Thank you, us Breaking up. Tea. But then I had to FaceTime my mom. And I said, Mom, I got seven new shirts. Two are a reddish hue. <laughs> the other five are like navy, gray, blue. How do I wash these? Like, can I wash them together? We were talking about this earlier. I think... See what I do. And you you wash them before you wear them. I wore them straight out of the packaging. Damn. And then what I do, see, I've gotten away from drying anything of value. 
Yeah. Everything is hung up. Wash, quick tumble. Okay. Back to the hangers. Because the drying is what screws up all my clothes, makes everything wrinkly, makes everything little, everything hot. That's my shtick. What's yours? That's yours. Uh, so my thing is, and like I've done my own laundry for years now, but I, weird flex, I know. But my thing is like, I would only ever get one new piece of clothing at a time. I've never gotten multiple new pieces of clothing that I needed to wash at the same time. But this go around, I was like, listen, I got to pay for laundry in my apartment. Like I'm not, real I'm thing. not washing them all with a one-off. That's not how that works. If I was at home or if I had a washer and dryer unit included in my apartment for no fee, like, yeah, I would totally take the time and watch each separately. But that's not my vibe now. I'm operating on a budget. That's not my vibe now. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, man, I'm a I'm a young 20-something kid living in a studio apartment. Like, I need to be able to wash this economically. So, yeah, I, I just threw it on cold and I let it ride. Speaking about economical, non-economical things, Jack McPullen, I'd like to introduce you to something I've heard. All right, I just sneezed. I muted myself. <laughs> Flu game. More energy will fall on the world's deserts in six hours than the whole world will consume in a year. What does our, that mean? Our, listen to this. Our story begins in North Africa, focusing on the Sahara Desert. Did you know that the Sahara gets the most sun on Earth as it's along the Tropic of Cancer, which is the hottest zone in the world? And my information is all from real life lore on YouTube. Okay. I was going to say, like, it sounds like you're reading something. You have to credit what you're reading if you're going to read something. I, no, well, it's, it's, I wrote these notes down. I wrote that intro because I think it's very, it's very nice. You know, okay. it's, very, it's very clean, but now we mess it up. But it is from real life lore on YouTube, so I'm not plagiarizing. This is what he gave me. Not in his exact words, but basically. The Sahara is bigger than you think. It spans across 10 countries and three time zones and is about the size of China. So why am I telling you all this? What's the plan? Let's build solar farms in the Sahara so humans can rely on renewable solar energy from the sun rather than elsewhere. So listen to this. If we built a solar farm the size of New Mexico, we could power the entire world and then some we would need a lot of solar panels we need about 51.4 billion of them and each costs about a thousand dollars to build and implement and put into place so that's about 51 trillion dollars which is about 60 percent of the entire world's gdp but it's only about 200 to 450 dollars to put in your house so i'd advise it to put on your own home but the infrastructure just getting it to the sahara There's no infrastructure to actually get the massive amounts of supplies to the Sahara that we would need to accomplish this feat. So why am I even bringing this up? Because they're actually doing it right now. They're not exactly building it into the middle of the Sahara because it's so hard to get to the middle of the Sahara, but they're building along the outskirts of the desert of the desert so that we can try and get from a using electricity into renewable solar energy what are your thoughts on the plan dude what the fuck did you just say there was a lot of information in there, there basically there was a lot of information i 
We're building What's solar it? farms in the middle of the Sahara where it gets all of the sun. And right. it's great because there's no people there. So you don't really have to displace anybody or relocate anyone. It's just about getting it in the middle of this desert that sees way more sun than any part else on the planet. Listen, man, I'm all for recycling and trying to reduce my carbon footprint. Like, I, I understand that. What I don't understand are the the intricacies of trying to get that solar energy from the Sahara if this were to be developed into <laughs> somebody's home, say my apartment in Fort Wayne, Indiana, right? I, I've got no idea how that works. I also don't really understand. I feel like you were all over the place with that description. So, so what's happening? Are they starting to build solar farms on the outskirts of the Sahara? Well, here's how, I don't feel like I was way over the place. Here, here's how I went. It went from the Sahara, understanding how big the Sahara is, that's about the size of China. It's massive. Under, All the sun massive. comes down on it. The sun comes down on it a lot. What it would take to fuel the entire planet's energy resources is just the size of New Mexico in the middle of the Sahara, full of solar panels. That, yes. would, that would change the world as we know it. And it wouldn't... It wouldn't take over the entire Sahara. It would just be a small portion of the desert. That's why I'm saying it is possible. And then they're also doing that around the Sahara to start to build a more renewable energy source. Okay. I think it's very interesting. Maybe I was all over the place. I was leading you to, through the bullet points. And, it, and it's super expensive to do it. It's 60%, 60 of, the of the world's GDP. GDP. Okay. Uh, how far is the U.S. in debt, though? It's in the trillions. It's in the trillions. So... People have trillions of dollars and you don't have to, you don't have to build one the size of New Mexico. What about half? How about half the world? Right. Like that, that's fine. I'm just saying it's possible. It is possible. Nobody's talking enough about it. I, so maybe the next thing that I got to dive into that I bring to the pod is like, I don't understand how the U S is, you know, X amount of trillion dollars in debt, how, how we're ever going to pay that back. I feel like we just kind of make up money. Right. I don't know where the debt goes to. I don't know where the I I don't even know. Who we owe? Yeah, who are we gonna pay? Uh, how how do we pay? Like, can you Venmo? <laughs> I don't I don't really know how that's gonna work. You want to stick to baseball because obviously we're idiots about everything else. Yeah, let's just get back to baseball. The stuff okay. we know best. Let's talk about the Padres and the Reds because that is entirely changing the National League wildcard conversation. It is already entirely flipped. The Reds are in the postseason if it were to end today. The Padres are out. And oh my God, how about that development? How about that freaking development? And you know what, I mean, makes so much sense. Remember we were talking about just on the surprise episode, the fact that Fernando Tatis Jr. literally changes the identity of this team. You Darvish has been hit or miss. Like Snell has not been good. Joe Musgrove has been great, but like the Chris Paddocks of the world, the bullpen games that they're throwing out there. So the pitching isn't there. And then the offense, if you don't have Fernando Tatis Jr. and you have a huge hole in your lineup and Eric Hosmer, it's just not that great of a team. It's not as good of a team as we really thought it would be. Dude, Craig Stammen and Jake Arrieta are in the rotation right now. Yeah, like that's, that's not playoff teams. That's basically the Cubs like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, that's the Cubs last week. Yeah. Uh, here's here's my thing about the Padres. And unfortunately, they just fired Larry Rothschild, who is one of my favorite people in baseball. Like I, I met him. That he, guy, was, he was fantastic when he was working at the Yankees pitching coach. He was so nice. I met him. He Cubs. was just such a lovely guy. 
Yeah, the Cubs, Yankees. I mean, this guy was the gold standard of pitching coaches. Everybody looked at Larry Rothschild and said, you are the guy when it comes to pitching coaches. And now pitching has changed. And I don't know how much of this is totally his fault, but you got to wear it. If you're the pitching coach and your pitching staff sucks, you have a little bit of the onus fall on you. It's not his fault that he's got to have Craig Stammen and Jake Arrieta in the starting rotation that he oversees, but I kind of put it on him that Blake Snell has sucked. I kind of put it on him when they really don't have anybody that can stay healthy. It's tough. Why why isn't he on the Yankees anymore? Yeah. For a reason, right? I mean, the Yankees pitching rotation with him, bad. Like, that was some of the worst years of pitching. That's how... That's why I feel like we got Garrett Cole was because we never we never had an ace at the top of the rotation who could at least be the closest to a guaranteed win as possible. We just never had that. It was like Luis Severino, it was Masahiro Tanaka. You know, we just never really had it. And like and, maybe was that a result Larry, of Larry Rothschild? I don't know. Right. And Larry might not have been the guy who can develop one. I mean, think about the Padres. They brought you Darvish in a fully formed you Darvish in his early. Then you got to get him credit on Musgrove, right? It, yeah. How much do you attribute Larry Rothschild to the growth of Joe Musgrove this year? I have no idea. That's the thing. I don't know. Shout out the Reds, man. I mean, their pitching is hitting its stride right now. Luis Castillo looks like a new guy <sighs> after the All Star break. Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray. I mean, even Vladimir Gutierrez, he their looks great. starting pitcher, he looks great too. Like they have some dudes. And they also, this doesn't really matter for the for the playoff hunt, but Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green are coming soon as well. Yeah. And they're legit pitchers. The Reds are actually set up very nicely. If Winker and Cassianos can keep firing on all cylinders, Jonathan India continues this. Nick Senzel is a name that we haven't heard in a while, who's, I guess he's back in the minors. But I'm saying past, I mean, present and future, the Reds actually are set up for a pretty good four to five year window. And I think this is year one. And if they can make the playoffs and make some noise, I wonder if any free agents ever want to go to Cincinnati this offseason. I mean, they need a shortstop. They need a shortstop. Yeah. Like 50 are up free agents. Corey Seager, Trevor Story, Carlos Correa. Hold on. Hold on. Because you saw Jose Barrero at the Futures game. Do they need a shortstop? see Jose Barrero. They might not need a shortstop. He's pretty good. But he's been playing a lot of second base, third base for him too. Because Kyle Farmer's obviously been filling in at shortstop. You're right. Maybe do they need a shortstop? Because I really did like what I saw from Jose Barrero. He has smooth hands and he has real power and he has good bat to ball skills. I like him. But you see Carlos Correa out there. You see Trevor Story out there. You see Corey Seager out there. Do you say, okay, Jose Barrero is good, but holy shit. We got a we got a chance to really plug these plug a right handed bat in right in the middle of Winker, Votto, and then you have Castellanos. Yeah, I see. I'm just gonna roll with Barrero because I don't think many free agents want to go to Cincinnati. I like Cincinnati nice. as a place. I'm a big fan of Cincinnati, and one of my shirts is an India shirt. But Great American Ballpark. Yeah, Great American Ballpark, Great Hitters Park. I you great want to park. pump your stats up without going to the shitstorm that is the Colorado Rockies organization. You should go to Great American Ballpark and you can yeah. put those offensive numbers up. Having said that, I don't think you can convince a lot of people that are going to make $150 million to go to Cincinnati, Ohio. I don't know if you can convince the Reds front office to spend $150 million on a guy. Having That's said that, get your young guys up. Let them learn from Winker, from Castellanos, 
and from Joey Hall of Fame Votto. I bet it's been awesome for India just to be able to pick their brains all year. But moving on to uh, some teams that are pretty hot right now, Jack. I'll get to my Yankees in a second who are on a freaking heater. But you know who have been really good? The freaking Braves are 17-4 and since the trade deadline. And I want to talk about something with the Braves because they might be able to do something this year that we've never seen before. They're on track to have one of the greatest power infields of all time. Austin Riley, the third baseman, is at 27 home runs. Dansby Swanson is at 24 home runs. Freddie Freeman at 27. Ozzie Albies at 22 home runs. They could be the first infield ever that all four of them hit 30-plus home runs. I feel that with the Ronald Acuna injury happening, Mike Soroka going down, the Braves, and I've slept on them myself. But when you look at this team, they have a high-powered offense. They have Huascar Yanoa back. Charlie Morton is still good. Max Freed is looking good. The bullpen adding Richard Rodriguez. This is, they are becoming a real contender under our eyes. And honestly, I've been sleeping. Yeah, I've been sleeping too ever since the injuries. I've been yeah. sleeping and I they thought Acuna was the kiss thought, of death. You know what? Eh. Right, exactly. And and I saw Acuna go down and I said, okay, this isn't the Braves year, much like the Cardinals, right? The, the Cardinals dealt with so many injuries at the beginning of the year. You were just like, let's shelve 2021 and look forward to 2022. With Atlanta, I thought that was the case too. Oh, Soroka's pushed back another year. That sucks. You're already behind the eight ball in what we thought was going to be a super competitive NL East. That's not the case. Acuna goes down. Okay, fully shelve this. You don't have your superstar. And then Austin Riley is putting together the year that he's putting together. Freddie Freeman got over his cold stretch. Um, I know that we have some listeners that do really like Austin Riley and think that he should get MVP consideration. People love him. Austin Riley will not get MVP consideration. I hope he finishes top 10 of the voting because Austin Riley has been one of the 10 most impactful players in the National League. I can you promise top, you that. No way. You think Austin Riley finishes top 10? I think so. Put Look I mean, at the numbers that he's putting up. I mean, three Reds are going to finish above him. Yeah, but who finishes above Freddie's him? Freddie's going to finish above him. You Trey think- Turner's going to fit. All right, let me let me do this. Winker, Votto, Cassianos, three. Okay. Trey Turner. Yeah. Max Muncy. Yeah. Fernando. Yeah. Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper. That's seven. That's seven. That's seven. Woodruff. Freddie. Did I say him already? No. Freddie Freeman is eight. Freddie okay. Freeman is eight. Let's let's throw our Brewers pitcher in there. Woodruff. Burns. And or Woodruff <laughs> or Freddie. I think Austin Riley finishes above some of these guys. And then, like, named. does Walker Bueller finish above Austin Riley? I don't think so. I think Austin Riley finishes top 10 in NL MVP voting. That's a take. You know, I'm willing to ride it. I'll ride it with you. I don't know. I think it'll be fringe, but I think you got a point there. Let's bet on it. Let's bet on it. Uh, we'll, we'll think of a good way to, uh, we'll think of a good way to kind of wager this and we'll report back. Uh, let's talk about the Orioles real quick, and then we can get to our two sides, the Yankees and the White Sox. Okay. Like the Orioles are in full-blown destruction mode. You know, the Orioles in 1988 started their season 0-21. Yeah, there was actually a good children's book written about that. I'll find the title. And Ken Rosenthal 
wrote a great piece in the athletic on the Orioles and their rebuilding and tanking and all that kind of stuff with the new, with the new proposed uh, floor, the tax floor, the salary floor and the, and the, you know, all that different stuff. Um, but the 1988 Orioles started their season. Oh, and 21, but this Baltimore Orioles team has lost 18 in a row with a run differential. Jack, listen to this, a run differential of minus one Oh two. That's horrible. In 18 games <laughs> compared to minus 85 back in 1988. But it's funny, right? The Orioles won the most regular season games from 2012 to 2016. Baseball is so cyclical. Teams like this will go often through rebuilding phases. I mean, right now, Baseball America ranks them as the second best farm system in baseball. According to Ken Rosenthal, that's the first time in the history that it's been ranked by Baseball America that they have been that high. So the rebuild is working, but like they never win and they're tanking like crazy. Yeah, I mean, the lack of talent and the lack of commitment to getting talent for them. I understand that they've got that top farm system, but it's going to take four years for it to flesh out into anything. When Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, and D.L. Hall and Jemai Jones are up next year. That's four. That's Gunnar four. Henderson. I don't know when he's coming up. Probably a couple of Not years. Not next year. Maybe yeah. the year after. But when those four are up next year, this team doesn't get any better. Like Even with Adley Rutschman on the field, they're still a top three worst team in baseball. You think so? Even with yeah. all those guys in? Uh, yeah. Might be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I mean, so. it sucks, but it might be true. Think about it. Trey Mancini. Ryan Mountcastle, John Means just, God, he's disappointed me. Loved him so much, and then he just got rid of his sticky stuff, and now his ERA is almost at four. It's just like, God damn it, John Means. It, it's tough. Like, that that pitching staff is is just no good. And even when you add G-Rod and D.L. Hall, it's still no good. And they're going to need years to develop. I mean, even I, I think of a guy like Matt Manning for the Detroit Tigers. Yeah. ERA close to five. We both think that he's going to be good. But there, there comes these seasons in a young pitcher's career where they might have an ERA near five. Doesn't mean they're bad, but you, it might be a couple years of this with the Orioles where you have guys who you're trying out who are all in their infancy, all with five ERAs or striking out 30, 35% of the time. Like they may have, they may have half their starting rotation and half of their lineup dealing with those sorts of problems for the next two years after this year yep and then even then you're you're gonna have to get guys in like Gunnar Henderson like Colton Kowser like Heston Kirstad whose development has been delayed a little bit you're going to have to wait on those guys too this is a compounding issue for the Orioles they are constantly going to be waiting for people to get legitimately good by year two or year three and when does this happen I don't really know. Like you can be young, you can be mysterious for a little bit, but you got to figure out a time to get good. And another team that's completely fallen off the cliff. I mean, Jack, the New York Mets suck right now. They're seven and 16 since the trade deadline. They went two and eight against the Dodgers and the Giants, and they still have three more games going up against the Giants. They get a nice series against the Nationals after that, but they're just falling deeper and deeper into a hole as we're recording right now they're 61 and 63 (laughs) oh no new york mets oh no listen 
last Monday, Aram and I shit on Steve Cohen. Fair. It's fair. Especially after that last tweet about guys being unprofessional hitters. It's fair. That was so stupid. It was so stupid. It was a shit guy move. It was was like a guy who just figured out OPS. No, it was a guy that just figured out that he owned a team. Like someone just told him, hey, remember you own the Mets? That was the dumbest shit I've ever read on Twitter. (laughs) What uh, there have been there has been well, some dumb shit. Yeah, by by world leaders I've seen too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but here's my thing about Steve Cohen. Uh, and Aram and I said this a little bit. Steve Cohen is not a guy who should be voicing his opinions about baseball. He almost acts like he's the GM. Yeah, and he's not. He's not. He's not the GM. He's not qualified to be a GM. He will never be in a GM role. He is the owner. He's the one that forks over the paycheck and hires the GM. If you want to get better, hire a GM. Hire. I wonder what it would take to get Theo Epstein out of Major League Baseball and back into a front office. Oh, my God. I, I, Theo Epstein would never join the Mets. I mean, if Steve Cohen goes into Theo Epstein's office and says, here is $200 million no, over 10 sh- no. years. Shut up. Like that's, that's no. What up? It, Cause it's never going to happen. I'm what realistic. <laughs> I'm realistic right now. You don't pay a GM any more than what? 5 million. Didn't did, I, I feel like some GMs in baseball are making a hundred, have a hundred million dollar contracts or at least close no to that. Shots. I bet Brian Cashman makes like ten million a year. How do we not know 15? this? Fifteen. Let's see. Top five highest paid GMs in Major League Baseball. Okay, here we go. Uh, this is a little bit late. This is five years ago. Um, okay, here we go. The highest paid GM in Major League Baseball in 2016 was Brian Cashman at three million a year. I bet it's newer. I there's no way, but it's not 10. It's like five. I'm going to see what Dave Dombrowski for the Phillies makes right now. God, I, Dave Dombrowski's salary makes. Oh, okay. He signed a four year, $20 million contract. Yeah. So five, 10 years, 200 million for shut the fuck up. (laughs) Just shut up. God. All right. Mention your Yankees real quick, and then we'll get to Aram and his breakout preaching prospects. The New York fucking Yankees are back. They're 19 and four since the trade deadline. Yankees pitching since July 4th. This is all courtesy of my boy, Jake Graziano, another contributor to just baseball. He cooked up a couple six stats that I want to read off to you right now. Yankees pitching since July 4th. We got a 3.63 ERA. That's fourth in baseball. We got a 3.81 FIP. That's fifth in baseball. And we got an 18.1 war. That's fourth in baseball. How about the bullpen? The bullpen ERA since July 26th, 2.72, fourth best in all of baseball. Guess where the Red Sox are? 5.40, seventh worst in all of baseball. Since July 27th, the Yankees are 21 and five. The Red Sox are eight and 16. The Yankees went from nine and a half back to two and a half up. In that span. And now, Jack, the Yankees are a half game above your Chicago White Sox. What do you have to say now? I have to say that you guys <laughs> spend a lot of money. 
I don't know. I like so I get hyped. <laughs> I understand. And I know that the White Sox got healthy only to see the Yankees do this. The Yankees are on a crazy run that's not sustainable right now. No. And the White Sox haven't looked their best over the last week or so. I think once everything kind of evens out, the Yankees and the White Sox are going to be a very similar spot record-wise. Yeah. Who matches up better in a playoff series? I think the White Sox. It's going to be close. Because Garrett Cole versus Lance Lynn game one is going to be sick. And it's all about games two and three. It's going to be who wins between. I mean, it's all about also Yankees got to get Kluber back. Got to get Sevy back. Um, tie on Monty. There's a lot the of moving is, pieces. Everything there. after one is up in the air for you guys. It's true. For the White Sox, game one is the probable AL Cy Young winner. Game two is the guy that's going to finish second in AL Cy Young voting. Garrett Cole might beat them both, though. I don't think so. Not over yet. I don't think so. And then, but the, three, I think those will be the top three, right? And then game three is Lucas Giolito, who we thought was a bona fide ace coming into this year and has ace stuff. Just don't and let Liam Hendricks they, come in against the Yankees. But if they go with a four-man rotation, then you can throw out there Dylan Cease. How about yeah. Michael Kopech? There are options. Do not throw Dallas Keuchel against the New York Yankees. No, hell That's no. one thing Dallas, you can't do. Dallas Keuchel might be left off the playoff roster at $19 million will? a year. No. He'll be on the roster. I just don't know what he's going to do. He might just sit there. <laughs> we'll see what happens. This is like a good veteran back there. I think the Yankees have a real shot. I think right now they're the fourth best team in the American League. The Yankees also have a breakout pitching prospect that Aram Layton thinks can be a star in the show. And we welcome Aram in now to talk about those pitching names you've never heard of, but it'll be cool once you learn their name. All right, long time no talk, Aram Layton. It's been about 24 <laughs> hours, but uh, good to see you again. You and Pete are facing each other for the first time since we called Pete uh, overly optimistic for Mondays. Yeah, well, it's yeah. Tuesday now. Yeah, talk to me about that, Arm. I, I got some beef. What's up? I'm, I'm too positive. I'm too much. What's up? What? Well, I think I think it's a bad day. Everybody hates Mondays, and you're just always happy. So, like, when I'm not happy, it's like, what's wrong with me? But I realize a lot of things, a lot of things. But I don't want to be reminded about that. Like, I, I'm all slow and tired, and you're just like, hey, Arm, I've been up for six hours, and I, like, I just rolled out of bed. And I mean, yeah. I'm like the iced coffee guy. I already had two today. I'm probably going to have one later because I got some work to do later. I wake up at six. You know, I get my stuff done. I'm an early riser, but I got to go to bed at like, I go to bed at like 1030. I went to bed at 11 last night. What kills me about that too is, actually. is, and I think Jack, Jack gets these texts and sometimes he he's asleep too, but I just do these either deep video dives or deep stat dives at like two in the morning. And I think like two in the morning, Today, I guess technically, I texted both of you guys. Alec Burleson is really good. And I was just doing like a huge dive on him. Like, I want somebody to talk to, but you're not, not awake. Yeah, the thing so, is, Arm, I'll text you. I'll realize it's like 7.15 and I'll be like, what do you think about this guy? Oh, I'm well in my REM cycle at that point. You're in the yeah. REM cycle. Yeah. Okay, so fine. Alec Burleson is good. Uh, how about he Edward is Cabrera? I, this is your birthday, pretty much. Yeah, it's probably better. Um, I'm really excited and, uh, it'll be more of a celebration for me just cause he's, he's somebody that I've been waiting on for a while. Uh, I've always maintained that he's better than Sixto Sanchez. As we were talking about off the air, it took, 
uh, MLB the show making an overpowered card of his for people to realize how good he is, which is fine, which is fine. I love it, actually. It's I mean, the moral uh, effect. We were just talking about it. The TikTok lives. The number one question of today is how happy is Aram that Edward Cabrera got called up the greatest MLB the show pitcher of all time? And seriously, when you play the game, he might be. He's disgusting. He he carves me up and I'm just happy about it, which is great. But the, the thing with him is, is his changeup is elite, like 70 grade changeup, fastball that can run up to the upper 90s and also a great slider. It's like he's got it all. He's six foot five. The command has been strong up until he got the call to triple A and I think the tighter strike zone because they always say right when you get to triple A, that's where the zone really shrinks. And I think he's battling just a little bit with the command there. But I think the Marlins are like, hey, he's fine. Uh, they called him up, and uh, I'm excited to see what, what he's going to do. I think he's going to do really well. It's funny, too. He makes his debut on Wednesday against the Nationals, and that's who Sixto Sanchez made his debut against. But How'd that go? Uh, again, I, I do think that Edward is going to be better than Sixto, health-related. <laughs> health I just want to be on record saying that. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, that Nationals offense right now also sucks, so that might be good. That's a different Nationals offense than the one that – Sixto Sanchez saw in his debut. Josh Let's Bell is the second best hitter in that lineup. Yeah. 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 Let's roll through your breakout pitching prospects <laughs> because that's why we have you on right now, right? You can find the article at justbaseball.com. You highlighted what? Four, five guys? One, two, three, four, five. You highlighted five. We're going to mm-hmm. roll one through five, starting with a former Yankee farmhand, Glenn Otto. Talk to us about him because he went back in the Gallo deal. Yeah, so I wanted to do even more, but I went so in-depth on these write-ups, though definitely check that out if, if you all like that. Like, I watched full starts of these guys just to make sure I wasn't missing anything. And oh, Glenn Otto was one of those guys that I really wanted to watch a full start of because, as I've maintained a bunch of times, the Yankee system has made more strides in terms of all of their prospects just making a huge jump than any other system in baseball. And Glenn yes. Otto is maybe the poster boy of that. Besides Volpe, on the pitching side, he's the poster boy of that. Uh, you could say heel, Luis heel, but he was really good before that. Otto had really been somebody that we don't really know what we were going to expect from a lot, really expected him to be maybe a reliever. He made a majority of his collegiate appearances at Rice as a reliever, but now comes out this year and deploys a slider, which he had never really thrown before and gave them a distinct third pitch. And that slider is already his best pitch. It's nasty. It is a wipeout. He can go to lefties with it. He can go to righties with it. And the fastball is actually ticked down a little bit, which generally is not a great sign, but it's because he's commanding it so well. High spin pitch. He gets swings and misses up in the zone. He spots it up, glove side, arm side. I've been really impressed with him. I don't think he's going to be an ace, and I think the Yankees knew that. I think the Yankees know what they traded away too. They went and got Joey Gallo, but the fact that they were able to get a trade piece out of somebody that came coming into this year was really somewhat worthless. No offense to him. That was a really, really good outcome for them. And I think the Rangers have a back end of the rotation piece for the next several seasons. Uh, and I think he's big league ready, honestly, right now. Before we move on to a really young prospect for the Marlins, are you, do, is there any concern there that Glenn Otto is 25 years old and still in the minors? Do you think that this is the ceiling now and this is what the Rangers are going to get? Or do you think he'll get even better? I think that's a great question because I, I really believe that he's that like exception kind of because at 25 years old, you're like, okay, this guy needs to be in the bigs by now, right? But he missed 2019, most of 2019 with injuries and then you have the 2020 pandemic. That's two years gone right now, right? Good so point. in terms of his pitching age, he's more 
23, 20 going on 24. And we're probably not asking this question. So I think you got to look at him as maybe one of the perfect examples of a victim of the circumstance. And I think he's made up for lost time and then some, and it sucks a little bit, you know, given that he's going to break into the big leagues at maybe 26 years old, but I I do think he's going to make up for lost time and be extremely polished when he gets there. Also the fact that he just implemented a new pitch this year uh, makes me feel like he's still going to have a lot more development to be had. Also Pete just totally smiled when you said that's a great question. I mean, that's a massive win for Pete. Let's talk about an 18 year old Erie Perez in the Marlins system. This guy is in high a as an 18 year old pitcher, previous highest or previous youngest pitcher in high a to my understanding was 20 years old. So he's 18 and he's kind of shoving with Beloit and he's six, eight. (laughs) He can play power forward. He's crazy. It, when I saw him, I, I went to a ball game and got to see him pitch. And when I, when I saw him just the game before, I didn't get to see him pitch. And he was just walking around like on, on foul ball duty. He looked like he was on stilts. It was crazy. But the crazy thing about it, too, is that he is so long at six foot eight, long arms, long legs, yet he repeats his mechanics really well. And, and if you look at his side by side, his mechanics to Adam Wainwright's. They're actually very similar. But the crazy thing about Yuri Perez is that he runs it up to 98 with no effort, shows a good feel for the curveball, and is even mixed in a changeup. I was able to get access, which is really hard in the minor, so I was glad I was able to get access to this. But his fastball is up to around 2650 RPMs, which is well above average in terms of spin rate. So he's getting crazy spin on a fastball that he's releasing maybe four feet closer to home plate than the average person repeats mechanics really well, a curveball that he's releasing basically 10 feet high that goes straight down. It's a downward curveball. There's a reason why Adam Wainwright's curveball is one of the best pitchers in the modern era. I'm not saying Yuri Perez is going to have an Adam Wainwright curveball, but his curveball is damn good. And I think it's a similar reason because of where they're releasing it from as a 12-6 downer, mixing in the changeup as well. I think this kid can be a stud. He's 18 years old and he's 6'8". That's like he was created in, in some like game. You're just messing around to see how tall you can make a dude and how young you can make a guy. Like it's pushing all the boundaries of what you can do. And he's doing great. Right. So if he's six, eight and he's got good repeatable mechanics and he throws 98 miles an hour, the sky's the limit for him. If you say that he already has a decent curveball and he's working on a decent changeup, this guy is like better than any situation that Tyler glass now has ever been in. That's what I'm saying, too, is, of course, the breaking ball is not where Glass now was, but he's also 18, right? So he's got two years to learn a really good breaking ball, and it's already good. Like, he gets swings and misses. I've seen him throw it against some older competition, and I'm really eager to see how, how it works against, you know, high A, high a hitters because he throws the fastball roughly 50, 55% of the time. So can he get away with using it that much in, in high A? I still think he can because he locates it and it's so explosive. But as he continues to develop the breaking ball, this guy could be a problem. Of course, you look at fan graphs or whoever, and they're like, oh, yeah, he's got a chance to be a number three starter. He's got a chance to be whatever the hell he wants to be. I mean, I understand there's a lot of variance there. He could easily be a reliever. He could hit a wall in terms of throwing strikes. But how could we put a ceiling on a dude that legitimately his head goes through the ceiling? How about another deep cut, dude? I'm reading here this guy, this 22-year-old for the Red Sox, is not only striking out 13 per nine inning, 13 per nine innings, but he was signed for just $28,000 out of the Dominican Republic. Who the hell is this 22-year-old pitching for the Red Sox? Yeah, Brian Bello, 28K, which is crazy, right? That's a steal. 2017, steal. 
And he came out this year. And this is another one where I have a little bit of like a gripe with the scouting community, which I'll get to in a second. But with Bello, just comes out throwing gas this year, up to 98. He's 6'1", like 160. He's kind of a beanpole, kind of a beanpole. But the slider, I just watched his start yesterday or two days ago. It was disgusting. Late, sharp break. He was back-legging lefties, which to me, I mean, we talk about this, right? If you're back-legging lefties as a righty with a slider, it's nasty. Like nasty. You're, That's a late-breaking pitch. Obviously, that's going to work against righties too. And then the changeup was supposed to be his best out pitch. I think that that slider is catching up to it. He's got three viable pitches. And my gripe is that the fastball is up to 98. He sits more 93, 95. And you have a lot of evaluators saying, I don't like the characteristics of the fastball. You can go to anywhere. Fangraphs, Baseball America, everybody. They say, we don't like the characteristics of the fastball, which I'm assuming means it's flat and it doesn't have a ton of spin. Sure, that is something that is worth noting. But he's continuing to carve up hitters in high A and double A you mentioned the 13 Ks per nine. He's doing that in double A now too. So at what point are we going to say, maybe it doesn't need to have the fastball characteristics that uh, you generally attribute a successful fastball to like in, until I go up to the plate and split the gap on his fastball. I don't think I have a leg to stand on to say, Oh, that fastball is not going to play when the numbers speak for themselves and the swings and misses speak for themselves. So it is something to watch. The, the fact that the fastball doesn't profile like your typical 98 mile an hour fastball. But I think the fact that his changeup and his slider are both pitches that allow the fastball to play up more, given that out of his hand, you could really guess that it could be any of the three. I think that that's going to allow him to, to have success with that heater. He's been one of the probably biggest come out of nowhere guys in the entire minor leagues and the Red Sox needed him. I think he's the best pitching prospect in the, in the Sox system at this point. That's crazy. Isn't That's it funny that, that it's not a typical 98-mile-an-hour fastball, and that might be not the best fastball at 98? So 98, but if it doesn't have the spin or the vertical, whatever, like all those Fucking things. Fucking 98. Give him yeah. a break. Yeah, and he's 22. Like, I don't care. I don't care. That's like Gratterall's uh, 101, right? Oh, but it's it doesn't play. <laughs> it doesn't play. Like, that one blows my mind. <laughs> why, why does Gratterall ever get hit? How is that possible? How does, well, Class A doesn't get hit, but actually, how does anyone hit the 101 mile hour cutter? I've how has anyone ever to... in the history of the world touched it? Yeah, that's seriously. Just... Same with Trinan. I look at Trinan, I'm like, who hits that? It's wiffle ball. Yeah, yeah people do. Uh, I've seen Xavion Curry in person twice this year, and I freaking love Xavion Curry. You Let's do go. too. Curry is on the shorter side. But he is so strong. He's so sturdy. He's got a fastball that's up to 95, 96. He's got some insane breaking pitches, and he's a gamer. I mean, he commands, he gets out of jams. I'm a big fan, and I think the Indians found their newest rotation piece out of nowhere. A hundred percent. And, you know, we talked about it on the podcast, Jack and I, you know, where uh, Tristan McKenzie, somebody that's really developed and, the Indians develop arms as, as well as anybody does. And what they like is the pitchability and they help you unlock your stuff. That's always been their mold. Savian Curry, pitchability, help him unlock his stuff. What I like about Curry too is he's a guy that was a two-way player coming out of college, Georgia Tech, or going into college, excuse me. He played a little bit of shortstop early on and they end up moving him full-time to pitcher. I actually faced him in summer ball. He played for the East Cobb Astros with Will Banfield and Braxton Garrett and Will Benson and all those guys. And when I played them, Curry was a shortstop. He didn't pitch and he hardly pitched in that entire tournament. So he was somebody that really got more acclimated to pitching in the collegiate levels and that type of athleticism. We talk about Josiah Gray 
other converted shortstops, of course, to Grom, but guys that have that athleticism, I think that compensates for the lack of height where you're able to repeat your mechanics. You're able to get more explosiveness, more torque from your lower half because you're a shortstop and have that athleticism and that flexibility. Curry's that exact guy. Jack, how about that curveball though? I, I don't know yeah. if it's developed more since you've seen it, but I watched his last start and that it's a slow 12 sixer, but oh my goodness, it looks like it pauses in midair. It, it's disgusting. It's so that working up, yeah. It's slow, but it's got bite, right? Late bite, it's sharp, it's vertical. I, I have a video of it in the article. It's crazy. You pair that with a high spin fastball. Talk about tunneling. I know Peter loves tunneling. He loves Love to tell tunneling. me he, he loves to tell me he tunnels me in the show. I and, do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but think like high spin fastball, right? And then 12-6 straight curveball. Like that's disgusting. So those two pitches for him have been great. And then Jack can really, you know, attest to the intangibles that he's a competitor on the mound. He's fiery. He attacks hitters. He's punched out 104 against 12 walks. I mean, this is a guy that has fantastic command. And I think Josiah Gray is a similar profile of a shortstop that went full-time pitcher, not the biggest guy in the world, but great pitchability and the stuff continues to develop. It's not a bad comp there. I think they have very similar stories there, although Josiah was even later in terms of jumping on to the, uh, the pitching bandwagon. But I- I'm a big fan of his, and, and the changeup is even a viable third pitch as well. Yeah, and I think Curry's as good. I think Curry is as good in as good a situation as Josiah Gray was in with the Dodgers, right? Because the Dodgers are the gold standard at developing guys. And Josiah Gray broke in with the Dodgers. The Indians are the gold standard at developing pitchers. And Xavier Curry is likely going to break in with the Indians. They will never be sellers. They're not going to sell a guy like that. He will come up, he will push through, and he will be a rotational arm for the Indians or the Guardians because he's not going to come up this year. And he's going to be really solid right away. So I think Josiah Gray is in a great spot. We've got one more guy to hit. You love Matt Brash. I'm all in on Matt Brash. Um, a little spoiler alert. I've, I've executive ordered him into the top 100 list, uh, that we're going to be putting out soon. Uh, brash, the Mariners have also done a pretty good job of developing arms, right? And they've done a really good job of drafting and the Mariners have one thing that they really like, and it's low release points for whatever reason, their data shows that low release points, uh, just seems to miss the barrel frequently. Matt Brash throws from like a three quarter arm slot, but he came back this year. Another player drafted in 2019 in the fourth round had only pitched five and a thirds innings in the minor leagues due to injuries. And then the pandemic then comes out with just crazy stuff. 94 to 96 topping out at one Oh one with that three quarter arm slot where he hides the ball so well, and it'll just get in on you. The three quarter arm slot with arm side run. So it's running away from lefties. So you have this arm side run away from lefties or in on the hands of righties. And then his best out pitch is a slider, which he releases from that same three quarter slot. And it has crazy bite. I talked about how Bellow can back leg guys, brash back legs guys as good as anybody I've seen in the minors outside of the elite, elite pitching prospects. It's crazy how much bite he gets on that. Cause imagine you're a left-handed hitter and you're watching a change up fade away from you, a two seamer of like four seam fastball that has that arm side run away from you. You're starting to dive over the plate. And then he throws this sharp late breaking slider in on your back leg. It's not a coincidence that he actually has reverse splits. Lefties have hit just 125 against him this year with a 35% K rate. 
righties, not that much better. 224 with a 35% K rate. But the fact that he has success against guys from both sides, he mixes in a change up from that same arm slot that he's comfortable going right on right with two. The stuff's electric, health dependent, really. That's the only thing that I think can hold Brash back here. I think he's got as much upside as anybody that we talked about here. And I think he's actually sneakily a top 100 prospect and maybe as much helium as any prospect in baseball right now, pitching wise. So the Mariners farm system is freaking loaded. I mean, you look on the mound, Emerson Hancock, and then you got George Kirby. And then in the majors, you have guys like Chris Flexen, um, Logan, Gilbert, the, Logan Gilbert, another arm like that. Where does Brash kind of fit in that? Do you think he can be as good as maybe a Logan Gilbert or George Kirby or any of these guys? Or do you think he's maybe a step behind them? I think personally, I, I think Kirby is is kind of in that. I know we all agree on that. Kirby's like up here. Yeah. Uh, Gilbert's up there too, in terms of what he's done in the big leagues. Now I was a little bit skeptical on Gilbert. He's really impressed me in the big leagues. I think that Brash is encroaching on Hancock range when it comes to the stuff. Hancock has youth on his side, but I would argue that Brash could easily be in that same realm as wow. Emerson Hancock when we talk about you know, after maybe a month or two into the season next year, I wouldn't be surprised. To me, the stuff is comparable. I would argue that Brash is more deceptive and the fastball is less hittable from Brash. I wouldn't be shocked, and this will be my hot take that we'll end with, if Matt Brash ends up being a better pitcher at the big league level than Emerson Hancock. Wow. Wow. I'm super high on Emerson Hancock, so we'll see. I just subjected myself to... Uh, maybe a huge dunk fest on me in about a year, but uh, I think both will be great. I think Brash could be better. Shit. Okay. Mariners you got anything else to add? Mariners fans have got to be just ecstatic for what the future holds. Oh I mean, their gosh. farm system is loaded, and then there's just these diamonds in the rough within an already electric farm system. I know the Mariners have had some troubles. You know, they traded away Kendall Graveman, their best reliever, after the Astros series. But yet, the they kind of do know what they're doing. Depoto knows what he's doing. Jerry Depoto knows what he is doing. So he don't might not he might not have connection with the clubhouse whatsoever, but he knows what at he's all. Doing. But he knows what he's doing. He's not just building a fantasy team like I know that came out a lot of the Mariners folks were saying, mostly fans, but he knows what he's doing. He got Diego Castillo five years of control for a half a season at Craven. Like plans are being made. Hey, really quick, Aram, before we go, Peter and I just took a moment to take a dump on Steve Cohen. And I know that you kind of like taking dumps on Steve Cohen. We did it two weeks ago, and then that was before the unprofessional hitters tweet. So I'm going to let you, you know, join in on the dump fest. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm actually going to Mets Yankees. Uh, My mom's coming up. She wants to go, and we're going to go to the ball game. And uh, I'm hoping that Cohen will be there. I just kind of want to just watch him exist. Uh, But (laughs) I, I envision him just pacing anxiously in his living room every time the games are on and like peter pointed this out in the chat like the tweet looked like he someone just taught him what ops was i could imagine him just like pacing back and forth just screaming out things that just make no sense in terms of baseball like i I think he's a baseball fan i don't think he really knows the game um and that's all i really wanted to say on him is i'm i've changed my tune I'm going to welcome the Steve Cohen baseball tweets because I know if he does it enough, he's going to expose himself as like 
a novice level of baseball knowledge and more of the hedge fund guy that he is like to act like he knew what Kumar rocker like projects as and whatever. I don't make bad investments, blah, blah, blah. Nah, shut up. But I am here for more tweets because I think Cohen will tweet some stupid shit about baseball that makes no sense. And I'm going to love it. Right. He's also the one not making decisions. Yes, not at all. So to be like, I, I don't make bad investments. Were you the one deciding on rocker there? Was Steve Cohen in the war room there <laughs> making, making the calls? They're like, hey, Steve, what do you think about Rocker? Like, no shot. No yeah, shot. Also, Steve Million could throw $6 million at whatever he wants. And that's what Kumar was asking for. And so, it, and they didn't sign him. So it definitely didn't have anything to do with him. No shot. No shot. And, and that's the funny thing about it. And what I will wrap up with here on, on Steve Cohen is that I know the players hate it. Uh, there's no disputing that the players hate it. And it's probably the worst thing that he could have done going down the stretch here as they continue to free fall. And uh, the Mets, man, they can't get out of their own way. Steve Cohen needs to decide if he's a fan or if he's an owner, but I'm happy to watch him struggle to be both and watch the Mets. (laughs) All right, Arm. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you more. Good conversation with Aram. Right before we got to the interview, you were just spitting out stats from our guy, Jake Graziano, uh, about the Yankees. And while we were recording our conversation with Aram, Jake was texting you even more stats. So just let him rip, man. Let, he let's... just loaded my phone. Let him rip. All right. Yeah. Since August 1st, and thank you, Jake Graziano, the Yankees have a record of 17-4. and four. The Red Sox are 7-12. and 12. The Yankees have gained nine games on them in 21 days. In that time, the Yankees' ERA is 2.82, which is second in all of baseball, while the Red Sox at 4.88 ranks 24th. How about starters? The Yankees' ERA is sixth in baseball since August 1st at 3.22, while the Red Sox sit middle of the pack at 16th at 4.30. The bullpen ERA. Yankees, 2.27 ERA, while Boston is, and that ranks them third, while Boston sits at 5.64, which ranks them 24th. The Yankees currently have the sixth best record in baseball. Seven weeks ago today, they had the ninth best record in the American League. They've gone 30 and 11 since that date, July 5th. I will keep going. That 30 and 11 mark since July 5th is the best record in baseball over that stretch. The Rays are the only American League team within six games of them over the last seven weeks. The Red Sox are 16 and 23 since then, 13 games worse than the New York Yankees. Thank you, Jake Graziano, for that. God. All right. Uh, you ever seen um, old school? Yes. Okay, I feel like James Carville right now. I have no response. That was perfect. <laughs> you have no response. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Just the Yankees are a rocket ship to Mars while the Red Sox are not. All right. That's at Peter Apple 23. I'm at Jack underscore McMullen 11. We are at Just Baseball Fans on TikTok and Instagram. We're at Just BB Media on Twitter. Uh, I'm going to take a nap and try and get this weird non-COVID bug out of my system. And while Jack is taking a nap, if you could please rate us five stars on Apple, it's the best way to support a podcast. We greatly appreciate it. 
And thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll be back on Friday with a very cool interview in the trading cards vertical. Yeah, that'll be interesting. John Frankel from HBO Real Sports. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody.